I'm Karen. And I'm Michelle. We're sisters. And homeschool moms. Welcome to the Layers of Learning podcast. Where we talk about family style homeschooling. Welcome to the podcast. I am Karen and I'm here with my sister Michelle. Michelle, what are we talking about? We are going to talk about how to get kids to listen to you. That's that's, that's a challenge. It's not easy. And <laughs> and I don't think there you'll ever get to the point where it's like, oh, look, they're perfect. They always listen to everything I say no matter what. But you can make a whole lot of progress. Yeah, I don't always listen to everything that people say no matter what. <laughs> so I can't really expect that of my kids. But, but there are some little things that you can do to help your kids become better listeners. And by listening, we mean taking in the information you just told them and also doing what you told them. Yeah. I think the first thing that you have to do is use the right tone of voice. Michelle, I'm going to put you on the spot. Give me an example of a bad tone of voice to have your kids listen. Timmy, come here. <laughs> like, I just think I listen to these moms who get shrill and I think, oh, it's harder to hear. It's literally harder to hear. Okay. Your ear can't hear it as well when you go up an octave. And also people tune it out because it is so unpleasant. Yeah. So instead of raising your voice and getting it more shrill, you actually deepen your voice. That sends authority. You say, Tim, come here now. You put that rumble in your voice. That's what men do. And that's why kids listen to men better than women. But you can do it. Yeah. And I think that often when we think we are going to force our kids to listen, we yell. Yeah. I, you could have yelled right there when I told you that. <laughs> yeah. That would burst everyone's eardrums. Yeah. I have quite a loud voice when I want to. Yeah, both of us can project pretty well. Like, you know, someone can hear us across the woods. Oh, we yeah. Have, we have acreage and we have to yell sometimes mm -hmm. for the volume to reach our kids. But if you actually want your kids to listen, not hear you from far away, but listen, it's actually more effective to whisper or get quiet than yeah. it is to yell. Yeah. So if you say there's there's a rowdy, a rowdy homeschool happening around the dinner table, right? Yeah. <laughs> Everything's getting a little bit noisy. You, hey, hey, you guys. All of a sudden, they're like, wait, what, what's going on? And they, they focus their attention right on you, right? You know the game Simon Says? Yeah. Like where you're telling your kids to do something. I love to do that with whispering. Like, if you can hear me, touch your nose. You know, and I whisper these little commands. And one by one, they start to hear me and listen. And then pretty soon they're really actively listening because they want to be yeah. involved. But that same thing applies to everyday life. When you want them to listen and actually make eye contact with you and really listen, if you lower your tone, it forces them to actively listen instead of just overhearing your loud yelling or whatever you're, you know, yeah. I, I also out. think the more often you yell, the less effective it is. So, if you want to save that high level of effectiveness for when it really, really matters, you should yell only very occasionally and when it really, really matters. You know, the kid is about to run out in the street and get hit by a car. You yeah. yell. So that's, you know? <laughs> that's actually my line. It's to warn someone of danger, yelling is completely appropriate. But if you've been crying wolf all along, you know, if you're a yeller and you're always yelling, then when it's dangerous... How do you yeah. even get their attention? Yeah. You don't. Yeah. When when the kids are fighting and they're about to do something that is going to really injure someone, you yell. You know, but but you it's don't yell. It's a warning. Yeah, not... it's a warning. You don't yell 
because they didn't take out the trash. No, for that you say, you get in their face, you look them right in the eye, and you say, John, you will take out the trash right now because I told you to. You know, you get deep, you or you if you're trying to get their attention, you can get quiet, but you don't get shrill and you don't scream. I think you said the most important part, and that's eye contact. Yeah. Eye contact encourages listening in ways that nothing else can. And the interesting thing is that people struggle with that in a group of kids then, even if it's their own family, you know, they, they say, but I don't have all their attention because you have to get their attention. Even that whispering or lowering of the tone works in groups. So let's say that you are at a birthday party, a bunch of six-year-olds and they're all a little bit crazy and hyper and everything. But if you whisper in the crowd, if you want cake, hop on one foot. Not everyone will hear you the very first time, but it will start to catch on and they'll start to look for where they're supposed to be paying attention and you will get their eye contact and they will begin to do it. And pretty soon, you know, they might be all jumping around on one foot and being silly, but they are listening to you. There are also some, we're going to talk more about like homeschool, like when you're doing your homeschool stuff, because I think. I've heard a lot, a lot of parents say, I can't homeschool because they won't listen to me. Or I can't, I mean, they have, they have, what we're talking about there is not an inability to homeschool, but they're having trouble with their parenting. That's really what it is. And so parenting happens during homeschool. You don't get to just be a teacher and you don't get to just be a mom. You have to be both at the same time. I actually think that one of the most difficult things about being a homeschool parent is that it's all the time, (laughs) 24-7, you have to be consistent or else you will be one of those moms who says, my kids don't listen to me. Yeah. Won't, you know. But it, if you do, if you're consistent at the beginning, it or even if you're not at the beginning, if you're consistent starting from right now, yeah, it gets better and better and better and better and better. Yeah. You don't keep having to fight the battle forever. People constantly look at us and say, how do you do that? Your kids are so well behaved. And they think that we just have an easy time homeschooling because our kids are well behaved. No, it's because we spent years and years of painful training. Yes, <laughs> you know? yes. We were so consistent and so careful to teach them. And it's not overnight. It Little by little, it does get better. Overnight, it can be better than the day before. And then the next day, it can be better than the day before. And then they may slide backwards and you have to start over again. But it does get better over time. Over many years of it it adds up so much. Yeah. But even in the shorter term, I mean, if you were consistent for a week, you can expect it to be much better next week than it was on day one. Yeah. So even even if you're just starting now and you've got a little bit older kids and you haven't had great luck with having them listen to you, you can start and you will see improvements pretty quickly. You know, I think it's interesting. We, we say all of this and people say, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be consistent. I've got the strategies, I'm ready. And they think that it's gonna be 100% from the beginning. Like, okay, I will do the strategies and so my kids will will listen. And then their kids don't listen. And so they abandon all the strategies. That actually takes you back even further than before you started. Yeah. So when it doesn't work, you have to stay consistently doing it. Another thing people do is they mess up and they're not consistent one time. And so they just abandon the whole thing. Yeah. You're a person too, as a parent, you, have a bad you can mess up, you start again <laughs> and you just keep doing that over and over and over until your whole family gets better. But let's talk about some specific strategies. First of all, 
if you're you're doing school, your kids don't like whatever it is you're doing, you've told them we're going to write a poem and they're moaning and groaning, right? You can pull out a timer, give them exactly one minute to complain and tell them that's not loud enough, complain harder. I mean, really <laughs> build it up, right? Like get them, get them going. It will completely break the, the mood. The tension. Okay, it breaks the tension. They re- they they realize how ridiculous they sound a lot of times. And after the minute is over, the time is up and it's time to get back to work. You haven't said, okay, you complained about it, so I guess we won't do it. That's that's not a good strategy. The strategy is you let them complain as loudly as they want for that one minute and then they do the thing that you just told them to do. Yeah. And along the way, I think if you want your kids to listen to you, you will be willing to listen to them. You listen to that minute of complaining. Yeah. You, it's It goes both directions. You can't always be the the director who expects all of the attention. You don't even want that. If you teach your kids how to listen by modeling listening, it's amazing what they will learn. They'll learn how to respectfully listen when someone else is speaking, even when that someone is you. I think a lot of the times when kids complain, it's partly because they feel like they don't have any power. If you have zero choices, it is hard right? So a lot of times I will give my kids choices. Like, do you guys want to do poetry this month or should we start a unit on persuasive writing? And then you listen. And then you listen. Yeah. And if there's a difference of opinion, you say, okay, well, we'll do poetry first and then we'll do persuasive writing right after. Mm -hmm. You know, you you compromise with their their ideas. I often give my kids choices like that. I do too. I don't often, like for example, give my kids the entire unit and say, Hey, you choose exactly what you're going to do. But I have looked through what we're going to be learning about. And I say, Hey, do you want to do this? Or do you want to do that? Yeah. Often two choices is, is perfect. Mm-hmm. They feel like they have some power, but you have really directed, you know, these are the things that I'm willing to They're do. They're both things that you want to do. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Everybody wins, but yeah, your kids will listen to you more when you're listening to them. And when it's that kind of interaction. Yeah. A lot of parents struggle with the before school stuff to get school started on time. Yeah, Like their that's kids true. don't want to get up and get ready for their day. They don't show up to breakfast on time. They don't make their beds. So they don't what, go brush their teeth. They, you have to direct every single moment of everything that they're doing. Yeah. Right. So what did you do, Michelle, to help your kids listen to those kinds of instructions so that your day starts out right? First of all, I think your expectations have to be really clear. Sometimes we think that we have told them what we expect And then we find out later they had no idea what the list was. And they were trying to figure it out based on our cues and we weren't giving good cues. So you have to be really clear. I like when they they were smaller. I don't do it anymore. But when they were smaller, I made them a list. It was actually in their homeschool planner. Yeah, a morning checklist. Yeah, it was a morning checklist. This is the stuff you're supposed to do. And if they came to school and it wasn't all done, they had to go back and, and do it. And I planned that time, that flex time into my day so it didn't make me feel upset. Yeah. You know. We used to have a whiteboard on our fridge that was the same thing. It was like, here's what you're going to do in the morning to get ready for school. And yeah, it wasn't perfect from the beginning. But little by little, when you do it consistently, your kids learn how to do that. I think that's one of the things that's been interesting for me to watch. When they were really tiny, I expected them to constantly listen to my every instruction. Now, they know the things, so I don't have to give instructions. You know, we, yeah. they don't have to listen to each thing. I'm not telling them each thing because I put it on a list because I taught them the routines. You know, 
once something becomes routine, it's kind of like cruise control. They just yeah. do it without even thinking about it. But it takes several years for that to really yeah. become solid routine. You also have to be careful not to overwhelm them for oh, yeah. for their developmental stage. You know, sometimes that tracks with their age. Sometimes it's it's not. It depends on their personal development. But if you give, like, I noticed if I told my kids, do this and then do that, sometimes they couldn't do them both. Like, they would feel overwhelmed. I had to tell them, do this and then come back and see me. Yeah. I trained them to come back and see me, whether it was during chore time or school time, whatever. Yeah. I also loved finding little opportunities to reinforce the things that they were doing in a positive way. So if I had taught them, hey, we make our beds when we get up in the morning. When I caught them making the bed or I saw, oh, they made their bed. I would just basically be the make your bed fairy. I would go check on that. And anyone who made their bed got a little surprise or a treat or something left on their pillow. Like those little positive reinforcements. It doesn't have to be every time they make their bed. It doesn't have to be daily. In fact, it's better if it's not. If it's surprise inspections. Yeah. So you never know when it's coming. But when it comes, they get excited. And then they want to do it every day to see, oh, is this a day? Do I get to do it? (laughs) But you said something really important there. And that's that you have to go and check. Like you have to, whatever it is you told them to do, you have to follow up and see if they really did it. Because if if you tell them do this and then you never check to see if they did, it doesn't take them very long to figure out they don't actually have to do it. Yeah, the same thing happens with school assignments too. Well, and the same thing happens with adults. I yeah. mean, <laughs> that sort we of thing doesn't end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think when you're positively reinforcing the times that they have listened, it goes a really long way into helping them yeah. want to do those right things. The behaviors become desirable because yeah. it's fun. It's Well, I remember, Karen, you've talked before about how you've told your kids, if you get done by this time, then we can play a game during lunch. Yeah. You know, and, and so... There's something to shoot for. Yeah, and basically reward. it's like, it's a natural consequence because if you don't get done by this time, we don't have time for a game at lunch, uh-huh. you know? So that encourages them to get done with their schoolwork at a certain point. Another thing you can do if the kids are wired or crazy, dimming the lights. I don't know why it works exactly, but if you dim the lights, everyone feels calmer. I I think we're both this way, but I always say I am a creature of the dark. Oh, yes, I am too. (laughs) There's something peaceful when you just dim the lights or you have candlelight Mm -hmm. or something like that. You know, even sometimes in our schoolroom, we'll kind of turn things down, have to turn things down, have soft music playing, just kind of change the tone a little bit. And all of a sudden kids become quieter, not just their voices, but even inside of themselves, they kind of become quieter and they can really listen to everything that's happening around them because they've become internally quieter. Another strategy that works well, if they're not listening to you or they're not getting down to their math assignment, you just told them, hey, time to go do math, and they're goofing off. Count down. Don't ever count up. Because numbers go to infinity, but zero is zero. So you go three, two, one, doing math. And then, you know, like they feel this motivation to go and be doing their math in time. It's like a race. So I, my husband, he hates when he hears parents say one, two, (laughs) two and a half. Oh, I do. Two and three quarters. Like 
he just wants to go over and enforce consequences on other people's children. And I'm like, you can't, honey, you just have to. But but we did not believe in that. It was it was three, two, one, and you're done. Yeah, yeah. And counting down, like I'm telling you, I don't know what it is about the human psyche, but everybody knows zero is the line. So if you count down, they know when it ends. But if you're counting up, I mean, are you counting to three? Are you counting to 10? Nobody knows. Do not go into fractions. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> just count down and then there's a consequence it doesn't have to be a big deal if you're consistent with the consequences it's the consequence can just be that we are doing this now whatever yeah. it was that you were told yeah. it doesn't have to be like you're grounded for three weeks it's just you're out of time so you are doing it now and you can do it positively too you can be like everyone who is on task at their math by the time i get to zero is getting a sticker mm-hmm. you know and the one kid who didn't get a sticker is going Dang it, I want a sticker next time. And so then next time. Yeah, it's consequences can be simple, but they need to be clear. Yeah. If if a kid isn't clear on the consequence, what would be the point of listening or obeying or any of it? it they don't know what's coming from it. So there's no point. You have to be very clear. I like, you know, you were saying that Bob hates it when people count by fractions with their kids. Yeah. You have to train them to be obedient the first time. Yeah. You, you can't do this wheedling and coaxing thing. I see that a lot too. Yeah. Drives me nuts. I'm like, you don't say, uh, okay, sweetie, it's time to go. And then 10 minutes later, you're still trying to coax her out the door. No, you grab her and she's out the door. I don't see, get it. I really do though believe in telling my kids, hey, you have 10 minutes. Oh yeah. Warning them is minutes. fine. But, but letting them drag it out while you're trying to get them to go out the door or trying to get them to sit down for their lesson. Yeah. You don't coax kids. You you have to make the expectation always clear and then you make it happen. Yes. The expectation that you have happens. And then after a while, your kids have the same expectations. They're just as happy with the expectations because they know what to expect and everything goes well for them when they do what is expected. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't take very many times. It's not like you're going to be this autocratic parent. In fact, the reverse is true. Yeah. If once you have taught your kids that they have to listen and do what they're told when they're told, you stop having to enforce that. They just do it. And you have this happy family life. I hardly ever have to discipline my children in any way at all. And I haven't had to for years because when they were little, I trained them. Okay, so there's a massive difference between being an authoritarian parent and an authoritative parent. So authoritarian parents are those parents who have high expectations for everything. And it might sound like that's what we're describing because we kind of do have high expectations. But the difference is an authoritative parent has high expectations and also high love. So authoritarian has high expectations and high control. Right, they want to control their kids. But authoritative is high expectations coupled with high love. So we love and support our kids. We listen to them. We involve them in the decisions. We let them be a part of everything that we do coupled with high expectations. And that is considered the most effective parenting when you're authoritative, not authoritarian. Right, that's a very good distinction. That's good that you brought that up. I, I think... So many parents think that being a good parent means letting their kids do what they want. That's the permissive parenting. That's permissive parenting. And, and that's, that's high love, low expectation. And, and what that actually does is make kids feel extremely insecure. Mm-hmm. And, and secondly, it makes them have no idea 
what they're actually expected to do in the world. And all through your life, you're actually expected to behave in a certain way and to do certain things. That doesn't change because you're an adult. And kids who haven't learned that struggle in their early adulthood. So imagine starting a new job and you go to your new job and your boss just gushes over you and says you're amazing and things are so, like we are so lucky to have you here and high love, right? But no expectations. They don't tell you what they need you to do. They don't clearly spell out what your job description is and you're sitting there feeling really insecure about it all. It doesn't matter how much love there is. If you don't know what's expected of you, you feel insecure. And that's very much the boat that kids are in with that permissive parenting. It feels so loving. It's so popular right now to, oh, just love kids through it all, no matter what they do. That's actually a very insecure feeling for kids because they don't know what they're supposed to do. Yeah, they're, they're born with a blank slate as far as, you know, behavior. And you have to teach them what's expected and how to get along with other people and how to have good manners. And having good manners means when it's time to leave, you leave. When it's time to do math, you do math. You know, it's that's part of human society and getting along with one another. You actually do have expectations, not just for kids, but in real life. And you have to learn how to meet those expectations. And kids who are raised with clear rules and parents who are strong and are in charge are kids who are secure and kids who are then coupled you couple that with love then those kids are also confident and happy so you got to do both at the same time yeah I think another thing that's really important that we tend to overlook in our families sometimes I mentioned routines Another thing that really helps kids to feel secure within their place in your family is rituals. Mm -hmm. So routines are kind of the meaningless rote things that we get good at doing. That's the cruise control of our lives. But rituals are those things that are special to your family that give you an identifying feature. So in our family, holidays are a huge ritual. Like we are really into holidays, even to the point that we make up some of our own <laughs> holidays. I mean, this isn't a made up holiday exactly, but when it's the Kentucky Derby, which is just <laughs> a simple horse race that they televise and we've never attended in person. Have you even been to Kentucky? I've been to Kentucky, but I've never been to the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> okay. I don't I don't think my kids have been to Kentucky. I don't, I can't, can't remember taking them there, but, but you guys celebrate the Kentucky Derby. But we Derby. celebrate the Kentucky Derby. Do you wear big hats? We have an entire dress up bin that's full of really <laughs> fun hats. They're not the kind that you would see at the actual Kentucky Derby that are the fancy style of hats there. We have a gigantic, like 10 gallon cowboy hat <laughs> and <laughs> Over we, the have, top. we have some sombreros a hot pink one that's fantastic. Yeah. We have a lot of like a Dr. Seuss style hat. We have probably 20 hats to choose from that are all in this little bin and we pull it out for the Kentucky Derby. And it's one of our identifying rituals in our family. There are lots of rituals that you can have in your family that are just those fun traditions that you create. It can have a ton of meaning to you or it can just be a little bit like our Kentucky Derby. But when you have those things that identify you as a family that make your kids feel like a part of things, like, you know, they're, they're an important member of this important group that has these important rituals. Those family rituals are actually incredibly important for helping your kids to have a semblance of independence within the family unit. 
it's not directly related to listening, but it really is because when we feel a part of something bigger than ourselves, it enables us to get beyond our own selfishness in a sense. And so rituals are actually really related to listening in that way. When we stop the selfishness and see the bigger picture of the family that we're a part of, it's huge. That's, that's, that's something that I've always taught my kids as related to chores. Like you don't do chores because I'm using you for labor or because you're supposed to get rewarded for it. You do chores because you're part of the family and the family makes messes and the family cleans up our messes. You know, like we work just, together. Yes. That's who we are. And, and we're building this family together. We do projects together. We do daily chores together. We're homeschooling together. We're learning together. That's part of who we are. And when one member misbehaves, it causes the others to suffer in some way. Yeah. When we were kids, we always had family night. So yeah, Michelle and I are sisters. So yeah. of course, we, we grew up together, shared a room and all that. And yeah, we fought a little bit once in a while. <laughs> we, we still fight a little bit. We Not really. Yeah, not, not, actually, we don't. <laughs> Just for fun now. <laughs> Maybe we should have an arm wrestle right after this. You would beat me. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel weak compared to you. We'll just bow down right now. You okay, win. Okay. Okay. Yay. But when we were kids, we had our own set of rituals in our family that very much made a family culture that that created who we are to this day, who we are with our own families even today. And one of the things that I think is a clear family ritual, we always had family night growing up. Yeah. So one night a week, we had very fun but you never knew what was going to happen so, family night okay so we took turns picking so each of the kids got to pick and then the parents got to pick too right yeah, it was just some some so, activity that we were going to do as a family and the rule was when it wasn't your night to pick you didn't get to complain because your night would come yeah and, <laughs> right? and we grew up there were six kids in our family so yeah. eight people with mom and dad yeah so you only actually got to choose every two months right because you know there that's that how many, many people there were yeah but you didn't complain when it wasn't your choice. Yeah. And I hated going swimming. <sighs> We'd go to the local pool. Yes. And I just see, I loved swimming. I just didn't. I think everyone liked it except for me. I have never liked swimming. So I didn't like the swimming night, but you just did it because, and then our older brother, sometimes we would do a bike ride through the neighborhood. <laughs> this one was great. And he was so embarrassed to well, be seen. This was when he was a teenager. Yeah. And, and he is one of the oldest in our family. Yeah. So he was a teenager, you know, biking with a whole, with parents and, and a whole kids. bunch of little kids. <laughs> he was so embarrassed to be seen with all of us. And he would ride around going, we're a convention. You yeah. remember that? Yep. He said, it's a convention. <laughs> it's a convention. And he was actually drawing more attention to the family than we would have gotten with eight people riding around the neighborhood <laughs> if he hadn't been shouting yeah. out. But, but the funny thing is that now, if you go to his family you know his home on any given week his kids are riding around the neighborhood on their bikes yeah. like they've kept it right up but, yeah but yeah we always had family night that was a ritual in our family and when you know that you are a part of something bigger than yourself you begin to be invested in that and that happens in your homeschool it happens you know on errands as a family, on family vacations, wherever you're at, when you are part of something, you know, you're part of that family, all of a sudden you're more invested in listening to to your parents and parents are more invested in listening to their kids. The yeah, listening and, happens you everywhere. Know, I, I think when kids are secure, they know they're loved and they know what the rules are, they don't fight it nearly as much yeah. as, as they do when they feel like 
things are shaky. I don't know what's expected of me. I don't know what the rules are. I don't know who's in charge here. That That's really hard for kids. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and she's divorced and remarried. And her kids go back and forth between her home and her ex-husband's home. And he's mm-hmm. also remarried. So they've got, you know, bonus parents in there. And she said, it's been so hard for me lately because my daughter, she has a son and a daughter. And they're both young teenagers. Okay. Um, like that's the stage that they're at. But her daughter is older than her son. And her daughter has decided that her ex-husband is a villain. And I mean, in, in his words... He said, she just ice queens me now. Like she won't speak the entire week that she's at his home. She doesn't want to talk to her dad. She blames him for every single, I mean, even if she doesn't understand her math homework, she's like, yeah, but if, if you and dad hadn't gotten divorced, yeah, you know, then I would understand it. She's just decided to blame the divorce on everything. And that's a tough, tough scenario. It's not easy for kids. It's not easy no, for families to have those things. But I was talking to her and she was asking me, what, what do I do? You know, how do I help her understand that even though we're divorced, her dad is a good man. We're, we're friends. I think the world of him, we decided we would be better off separate than together, but he's not a bad person. How do I help her see that? And I don't have all the answers for that, but we were talking about how kids see what they're looking for and not just kids, people. Yeah. People, people see what they're looking for. So if if she is looking for him to be to blame for all of her problems, she will find that. But if she is looking for a loving dad, she will find that. He's actually an amazing dad who does things for his family and for her all of the time. And so she decided, I'm just going to start pointing out all of the ways that her dad is amazing. And this is this is my friend's ex-husband. Right. But she wants her kids to see their family. It's a new family now. It's not two families. It's still one family, but two parts, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. But she wants her kids to still know that they are a part of something bigger than themselves, that they are a part of this family. And the family's had to be renegotiated, and it's tough, no doubt. She's making efforts to listen to her daughter, and she's making efforts to point out to her daughter how they are still one cohesive unit even when they're not living in the same household. And there are little things that you can do to help your kids learn the new paradigms that happen and the the new things that come up in your family and listen to you by pointing out what they can look for. And that's especially true of teenagers, but even little kids. If you're pointing at the math problem and you're saying, look, you know how to do this. Then you teach them a new little part on top of it. They're listening to that whole message. They're seeing a bigger picture than just mom's making me do the math. Yeah. They, they see a bigger whole. It's, it is important to show them. So I, I think that we have to help kids along the way, partly with the tone of our voice, partly with an entire surrounding of, you know, positive reinforcement, clear consequences, really strong routines and rituals. And then, Helping them know that they are part of something bigger than just themselves. When we recognize what's around us, we start to listen and pay attention to what's around us. And right now, what's around your family is your family. That's what you're focusing on. 
Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating wherever you listen. Ratings and comments help people find happy family-style homeschooling. Visit us at layersoflearning.com, at Instagram, and on our Facebook group. And make sure to tune in next month for the next podcast. In the meantime, we wish you happiness in your homeschool. Have fun learning! learning.